tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, the podcast where I, a comedian who was in a coma one time, talk to creative people and other imaginative types about the afterlife. Thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show in your podcast apps. I'm grateful for that. I also am going to be honest and say that I've been encouraging people to do that because it's the thing I've been led to believe is the thing you tell people to spread the news about your show. But to be honest, I just want more people to hear the show. So if there's someone you know who you think would genuinely like this show, just tell them. That is as good or better than leaving a rating or a review of the show. Or leave a rating or review. That works too. Either way, thank you. My guest this week is Jaz Norris, who's a great comedian based in London, who I learned about from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which I had been attending the past several years. The 2020 Fringe was canceled. I saw Jaws's show in 2019, which was called Jaws Norris is Dead, Long Live Mr. Fruit Salad. Mr. Fruit Salad was this alter ego character he created. We mention it briefly in the episode. His show that he was prepping for Edinburgh this year, You Build the Thing You Think You Are, he turned into a film. And I've seen that film, and it's great. It's a really interesting adaptation of the solo show form to a digital format. I've included a link to it in the show notes. So please check out Jaws's film, You Build the Thing You Think You Are. This episode and this conversation was so full that I had to chop it down to make it fit the size of episode I want to be releasing, which means there is bonus content from this episode. And there's also bonus content from last week's episode with Kimberly Michelle Vaughn. And I just want to say, next week, I will have a very exciting announcement about how you can access that bonus content. So stay tuned for that. But right now, enjoy the episode that is here with Jaws Norris. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatar when I'm in Shatar. Cool. So we'll start with just like introductions. What I would love for you to do is introduce yourself to me sure thing. in three separate situations. Oh, okay. So the first one is I'm a stranger in a rideshare. Right. Second one is I'm a person at a party that you're interested in having a relationship with, oh, not okay. an annoying person, a potential new friend. Right. Right. And then situation three is I'm St. Peter <laughs> at the gates of heaven. It turns out Christianity was the correct religion. Right. Oh, and wow. I'm standing there with a with a a notebook and I'm like, Jaws Norris, I'm sure I'm sure you're in here. I have no doubt you're in here, but we have a lot of Jaws Norrises right. of all human history. Can you just be a little bit more specific? Uh, Can you okay. tell me no, which right, Jaws Norris you are? Weird that they have a lot of Jaws Norrises. I I always thought I was one of the only ones. But I guess okay across all of history that, that it's going to crop up more times that name exactly yeah exactly yeah because it's not that's not your is it's like Josiah yeah my name's right? Josiah they will have Josiah Norris's definitely yeah right yeah exactly. you're right you're right um, okay 
Uh, and you want me to do it in that order? Oh, I, if you don't want to, you don't. No, no, to. it, it makes order it sense. Actually, it makes it's a good order. Uh, so a ride share. Am I allowed to pin down some more specifics about it? Absolutely. Where are we driving to? And uh, how do we, we, we're completely around, we've just been thrown together and we're just traveling in the same direction. We're not traveling to the same place or anything? No. You, okay. Well, you don't know. Okay. You don't know. Okay. I'm just, I'm getting it's like they hop car. in. You haven't looked at the map. You haven't looked at their, their destination. Right. 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 You are going wherever you most commonly go in a ride share. Cool. Um, I think, I think my greeting to you there and... I'm hoping this doesn't reflect too badly on on me, but I think my greeting to you there is t- is to raise my eyebrows and to say hi, or sort of mumble something very quietly, and then um, put my headphones in and look out the window. I'm very I'm very bad in those situations. I'm quite rude actually to my. Do you think that's rude? You think that's rude in a ride share? It's kind of standard. It's, yeah, I guess it is. I feel like I'm always very impressed and envious of people who can be genuinely like on good form with strangers that they have no real kind of um, shared experience or like shared purpose with. Like sometimes you see people and they're just, they're genuinely interested and they ask good questions and they get conversation flowing, even though there's nothing there. I've just, I, I can never do that. I'm always very like, I'm just going to shut myself in my small corner and busy myself with something. Try, I'll try and acknowledge people and I'll kind of look them in the eye and nod, but that's sort of all I can do. And then, you know, if something happens on the way and we both happen to comment on it in a certain way, then I might be like, Oh great. Now we've got, now we've got something that might turn into a conversation. But I think, I'm shy enough that at the at the start of the trip, I'm struggling to to make conversation myself. Um, the party, I think I'd I think I'd try a bit harder. So how am I introducing myself at a party? I might hug them. I, I'm I'm a fan of a hug in a situation okay. where I want to have a relationship with somebody. I think it's nice to um, I think it's nice to offer a hug. So I do that, and if they ask me what I do, I would say I do um, I do comedy stuff. Uh, and that's sort of what I've learned to say, because I'm a comedian is like a loaded statement, whereas I do comedy stuff just puts you sort of back in a comfortable place where they go, oh, I don't know what that means, but I have a, <laughs> an understanding of roughly, right, you're in comedy. Whatever. right? And then you can talk about that if they want to, or if they don't, you don't have to, but you've sort of established who you are and what you are without saying I just comedian is a very specific word in people. Yeah, what do you think it's loaded with? It just it it makes people expect specifically jokes for a start. Like you get a lot mm-hmm. of like, can you tell us a joke? Um, and I don't even mind when people do that because it's just what people do. It's it's you know right. But also, I think it just means that they expect you to be a funny person, like to be a naturally kind of zingy, always firing on all cylinders kind of guy. And again, I'm I'm often not that with people, you know, even if it's somebody new that I'm trying to get to know and trying to have a friendship with, I tend to prefer to talk to people in a more kind of authentic way where I'm not trying to show off and do jokes all the time. So I find that if you just say you do comedy stuff or you make comedy things, you're telling them a bit about yourself, but without kind of setting yourself above them. I think comedian is quite a high status word. It mm. shouldn't be. I think comedians should be low status and they should be idiots like Right. Audiences should look down at comedians, not up at them. But I think the word comedian has become a little bit statusy. So I just, I, I never feel great describing myself that way. But I'd say that, 
And hopefully that comes across as a stupid enough thing to say that they go, okay, cool, this guy doesn't really know who he is or what he's doing. And I'm happy with people thinking that. I think that's all right. What are the follow-up questions to comedy stuff if they choose to follow up? Um, they'll say, what, what sort of thing? Do you, do you write or do you act or perform? And I'll say, oh, I, I make live shows, like silly comedy shows, and I write a bit and I act a bit. Um, so then we end up at sort of writer-performer, but I've tried to do it in a way where I've basically said, I just like to be silly. Don't, don't worry about it too much. I just think otherwise there's too much of a like performery dynamic. Cause if you, if you go in too much with like, I am the comedian, then um, I think it sets up a weird, a weird interaction. Well, and it gets you immediately into like talking about like the specifics yeah. of what you do. If yeah, they choose. Yeah. To yeah they might just it. go cool. Don't care. <laughs> Like, I'm thinking, I'm like, what's the, like, you know, like the accountant or like the paleontologist like version of this, you know, is it's like, yeah, it's like if I, it's like, oh, I, I work with bones, you it know, is, it is weird to be in an industry where you inevitably have to talk about what you do when you say it. Like, it's very, very rare that I say, whether I'm saying I'm a comedian or I'm, I do comedy stuff or whatever, whatever I say, I tend to get follow up questions about. What does that mean? How did you get involved in that? What sort of thing? That, right, that, with right. all that stuff. There must be loads of jobs where people just say their job and then people go, great, cool. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean that in like a putting them down way, like it's boring. No, or, no. I just, there are so many jobs where people understand it completely that yeah. it must be weird to start lots of conversations by saying, I do this. And then people go, great, cool. I get it. <laughs> I don't need to find out anything more about it. I just, I get what you do. Because um, it's like twofold. Because on one hand, who knows what the fuck comedian means. It can yeah. mean so many things, but it also implies kind of a rejection of a certain standard way of life. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of carries with it. This like I've, I've chosen to not <laughs> live the yeah. sort of life that maybe eight. I don't value the things yeah. you value. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very poor, but I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, right. But even that is a silly standard to live. By. I think a lot of people in the arts live by that kind of false, like, well, I may be poor and everything's quite unstable, but I'm really creatively fulfilled and happy. But that creates this false thing, like assuming that people with proper jobs are miserable. And they're probably not. They're probably really happy doing what they do. You just end up doing whatever the thing is that you need to do, really, I think. I try never to yes. think of it too much as like, I've rejected consumerism or whatever. I just think, ah, well, I'm I'm doing my thing and it seems to be going all right. Hopefully, other people are happy as well. And at this point, the person at the party is like, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's gone on for so long. Like, I need to get away from this guy. This is so dull. Hasn't asked me a single question about myself. <laughs> Gates of heaven. Uh, <laughs> I tried to do it quicker than that. Anyway, um, Gates of heaven. So I need to narrow it down. Um, I'd say I'm the, uh, I'm the Jos Norris. Um, uh, I guess, I mean, this is a, this is a pretentious word. Or no, I don't think it is a pretentious word, but it's a word with baggage around pretentious. I think I'd say I'm I'm the um, the artist Jos Norris. Maybe that narrows it down. Uh, and you know there might be a few of those as well. And then I'll say the comedy I did the comedy shows. So I think that's how I'd try to get St. Peter to find me in his in his ledger. Was narrow. It okay, down we're down to about down. three. Can you narrow it down even more? So these are three artists or three artists in comedy through three artists in comedy. Three artists yeah. in comedy through history called Josiah Norris. Um, I'd say I I did the. Um, I wouldn't want to like go do a list of my work in front of St Peter. That feels a bit a bit embarrassing, a bit petty. 
But it's interesting that you're not going the direction of non-work identification. It's still comedy-work identification. Yeah. Well, I think think I've got to this point now where – and I guess this does connect to the thing about like people in the arts in some way kind of rejecting the the like social norms or like the conventionally accepted model of how you live a life. I think when you've been doing something like comedy for a long time, the fact that you do it sort of becomes the meaning in your life, if that makes sense. Like I think for a lot of people, work is a kind of a structural thing that gives them it helps them get by and survive and stuff, but maybe the meaning of their life is in certain relationships or uh, certain hobbies or the, the, the fact that they like to travel a lot or something like that. But I think because comedy involves living outside of those things a bit, it does become a weirdly kind of spiritual practice in a way. So I think if I'm trying to sum up the meaning of my life to St. Peter, I'd sort of be like, I made stuff. I made all that stuff. And while I'm talking about it, that sounds sad to me. I'm very sad. Really? That I, I think it sounds great. It's sort of it's sort of exciting. I feel it's a shame. I think it would also be nice if by the end of my life, there's a particular relationship I can point to or, right. uh, uh, you know, I've been on my own for a very long time and only uh, recently sort of started seeing somebody this year. So I, I'm not confident enough to say I would build my life around that relationship or whatever. It's, it's too right. early to know. But I think... Um, I think, yeah, I think mostly at the moment, the majority of the kind of, this is the the meaning of my life that I'm trying to sum up to you is contained in the stuff I made, I think. But then maybe I'd also go, the the guy who did, uh, the, who did some felting for a bit, maybe I'd try and come up with a hobby. But even oh, then. Yep, that's it. Felting. We got it. But that's such a desperate reach. That's really like, God, what else do I do? No, it's very it's hard not. when people pin you down and go, what do you do? I know. But I think that's kind of beautiful. I, I, I enjoy the the quick access into the meaning of your life that you're giving. Yeah, it's um Yeah, it's a tricky thing to work out exactly what it what it's all for or what it all means. Sure. <laughs> it might be with outside of the scope of what we're doing here. Yeah, I guess uh, if it was really easy to just sum up the meaning of your entire existence, then I guess um, you'd either be very lucky or you hadn't really thought about it. It ought to be hard. Let's switch. Let's switch. I keep wanting to say switch tactics, but it's not tactics. It's like switch. Change, change tack. Is that it? Tack, right? Is but tack, I don't really know I what that means. Tack. I don't either, but it feels right. So tack let's is change like a tack. thumbtack, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, or like a really sticky what... substance. Oh, yeah, blue tack. Yeah, I've no idea, but I know what you mean. Yeah, so let's change tack. Okay. And I want to ask you, what do you hope happens when you die? What do I hope happens? Different to what do I think happens, right? What do I hope? You've picked up on the subtle uh, engineering I've done uh, of right, this question. Right, yes. right. I think... I think what I hope for is different to what I think because I really like the idea of having like an active afterlife. I'd love to be a ghost, basically. I think being okay, a ghost. Okay, on Earth. Yeah. Like, did you ever see Randall and Hopkirk Deceased? Was that a show no. that ever made it to America? It was I a don't think so. British detective show about a partnership, a detective partnership 
they solve crimes and then one of them is killed in the pursuit of duty. He's trying to bring down a criminal and he's murdered. Uh, he comes back as a ghost. Only Randall can see him and they solve crimes together. So Hopkirk is a dead ghost and he uses his ghost powers to help them solve crimes. Randall is just a human guy, but the fact that Hopkirk is there like causes trouble in his day-to-day life because he's always acting crazy because there's a ghost there. Um and I'd I'd love <laughs> I'd love that. Not necessarily to solve crime specifically, but I'd like to be able to come back and visit whether it's one person or a handful of specific people that I'd miss and want to stay in touch with and kind of have some sort of ghostly power over the over the real world, whether it's like hovering things or stuff like that. Um and just yeah to kind of continue to see a, how you're remembered. I think a selfish part of me thinks I want to see how people react. You know, I want to. I wanna... So you're not spending any time in like a waiting room, a purgatory. You're immediately going to your funeral and seeing what people are saying. I reckon there's a period of time. Uh, this again is in my ideal situation, not in my actual belief. Um, yeah. I think there's a period of time where you go through some sort of processing system. And some sort of administrator talks you through it and says, I don't know whether it's like you choose to go back or whether they tell you you have to go back. I don't know which one I would prefer. I think I prefer being told I have to go back and that like I've got unfinished business and then I go back with a quest, but I don't know what it is. That I think is the most fun way to come back as a ghost. You don't know what it is now or you would not know as a ghost I think even as a ghost, I think they say you have unfinished business and they send you back and you've got to figure out what it is. Because that's a bit like life, you know, life's a bit like figuring out what your unfinished business is. So yeah, being forced in that situation, but you can't really interact with many people. I think that'd be quite fun. Uh, And also, I'd in a less selfish way, part of it would be see how you're remembered. And another part of it would be just like to see how, how all the people I care about go about the rest of their lives. I'd want to keep in touch with them, you know, and do what I can to help them. Maybe that would be the unfinished business. Mm. Just using my ghost powers to try and help them out a little bit as best I can. Are there specific people? I guess there's a kind of a, it would be my family or like a select handful of my family, not all of them. Cause you know, You've only got you've got limited time as a ghost, or I don't know if you do, but I'm imagining you've got limited time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like my my core friendship group, so like the the central, the top tier of friends, um, I wouldn't be able to go around all my friends because, again, you're a ghost and you can't you can't have everything. Otherwise, you know, what's the point in coming back? There have to be some <laughs> right. sort of limitations. So maybe like eight people. So what is it you believe? I believe that there is, I think there's stuff that we don't understand. Uh, And I think that I like the idea that after you die, you do turn into something else. And I think whether you want to call it like an energy thing or whatever you want to call it, I think because it's a thing we don't understand scientifically, there isn't really... The, the tricky thing is there isn't really language for it that doesn't make it sound like you're talking about magic. And I think people, as soon as you try and talk about the idea of some kind of spiritual thing, people have their sort of pre-associated things in their heads where if you're not talking about a specific religion or a specific kind of spiritual thing, they go, oh, well, you're just talking about like magic, ghost energy or whatever. And I don't think I quite mean that. 
I think that there probably is an afterlife where whatever your consciousness was turns into some different form, but I don't think it has any connection to what what you did in this life. I don't think you'd be aware of who you were or have any memories or whatever, but I reckon because you do get mediums and you get emotionally empathic people or whatever who can pick up on stuff and go, oh, this feels, I feel a weird thing around this, or I have this weird intuition that something has happened here. And I think it's it's too it's too easy to dismiss that and go, oh, well, those are just mad people who kind of make up weird spiritual mumbo jumbo stuff. I do think that there are there are things that go on that we can't really fully explain yet. But I I reckon it's I don't think that's because there's a spirit hovering in the air that goes, I used to be Jaws and I remember the life of Jaws and now I'm hanging around this place. I think probably you just I think your body goes, your body just that's gone. And then whatever there was in here that was kind of deciding things and doing things, maybe that turns into some new thing. But I don't think I or anyone has the language for it. And I think all like religions and spiritual practices and things are attempts to like find the language for that. Uh, and they're all kind of equally valid in a way, because I don't think I don't think anybody can really pin down and go, oh, that. That's that's the thing. But yeah, does that make sense? It does make sense. What keeps you from believing the thing that you hope? The ghost situation. Yeah, the ghost situation. I guess it just seems to... Uh... Well, actually, I guess in my dreamed scenario i'm thinking about a situation where i come back as a ghost and i physically appear to people and i have like a partner like randall and hopkirk and i go hey i'm here in my ghost form that i think can't be the case because i would know about it like uh somebody i know would have lost someone and then had mm. them come back and they and go oh I've, I've i've struck up a friendship with the ghost of my mum or whatever uh <laughs> And you know, I've I've lost grandparents, so I feel like it's actually actually I was gonna say it would be a shame that none of them have chosen to appear to me, but they oh no, they they probably don't have many people. I was gonna say they probably visit their friends, but their friends are all there as well. Um I basically think somewhere in the whole kind of six degrees of separation thing, somewhere in my network of friends, somebody would have made friends with a ghost if what happens is that you come back as a ghost and make friends with people. It, I just, I surely would have heard of it by now. That's, that's legit. I buy that. What's up? It's Dave. If you like This Is Your Afterlife, you should go to thisisdavemar.com and sign up for my free newsletter, Hella Immaculate. Every week in the newsletter, I share, one, a micro-essay about an aspect of creativity or culture, like the creative lessons of Drag Race Thailand or the visionary anti-racism of Hoobastank. Two, a hyper-specific playlist, for example, 90s Beach Xanax or Pelot de Don set for 2008 Pitchfork Music Festival after party where I saw Julia Stiles. And finally, a few actions we can take to pour water on our world on fire. Hella Immaculate is a way for me to connect with audiences beyond live venues and across the globe. And it's the best way to learn about classes I'm teaching, podcast updates, eventual live shows, and whenever I'm typecast as a homeless addict again on a TV show set in Chicago. Again, go to thisisdavemar.com to subscribe to my newsletter, Hella Immaculate.
As you may know, I'm a DIY operation, so please tell your friends. A hard vouch means everything. Back to the show. My next question is less about death specifically, and it's based on a premise in the newest show that I did. Right. The one that's, that's where the premise is, the lights are up. We are in the afterlife. This little, for me last year, it was just the tonic. So it was a fucking cave. This cave is the afterlife. (laughs) Who guessed closest? This turns out to be what it is. Right. And I'm giving, I'm providing an orientation. I'm like, these are the features of the afterlife. So your audience has just died. You're taking them through it. Right. And one of the premises that I offer is that in the afterlife, you get to completely relive one memory. Ooh. It's not remember. It's not in your mind. It's in your body. You're like dropped down, fully reliving it. You're not stuck in it. Okay. It's basically just a room that you can visit, but right. you can visit that room whenever you want, however many times you want. And I can do different things in the room each time. I don't have to. No, do the you same. can't do different oh. things. It has to be the same. So you have to choose one right. that is revisitable enough that you would want to revisit it. Right. So if that were the case, what memory would you choose? How long do I what's the window of time I mean, I'm allowed to you can't it? you can't pick like your whole life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um but Well I've got a day in mind, but the, the bit of the day that I would want I to revisit. A day is great. Oh, it's a day. Okay. It, I mean a day is is I, I think there's you know this might be cheating in a little bit, but I think you could do like a year. A oh, wow. A year. But but I think a day is, is great. Right. But I'd okay. especially love to hear, yeah, the day or the bit. Of, start with the bit of the day. What's I've, the bit of the day? I've got a um, – so last year I went on holiday with my best friend. Uh, we'd fallen out the year before. We'd had a very bad falling out, um, and we'd kind of both gone off and done a lot of work on ourselves to try and sort of fix it. And then we – made up and went on holiday together. And then I had to abandon her on the holiday halfway through because I got a job and had to fly home and was very embarrassed about that. So then I thought, okay, we'll do another holiday. And this time we'll just try and make it a really special one. So we went to Morocco and we did a, uh, we did like a mountain trek up into the Atlas mountains. And I've, I'm not a big travel person. I've not traveled much my whole life. And before this holiday, I hadn't really gone anywhere for like five years or something like that. Um, and most of my holidays have been, to France or, you know, places that are quite nearby. So it felt exciting to be somewhere more exotic. And then on the last day of this Atlas trek, we climbed up the tallest mountain in the Atlas mountains, which is called Tubkal. And there's a particular bit, we were sort of climbing up this uh, mountainside. We had to set off before the sun rose. And then the sun started rising just as we were going up this one bit. And we sort of saw the light come down over the top of a mountain opposite us and sort of creep down the mountain. That's a big moment for me, and I think about that a lot. And Wait, then, but it's the sun rise, but it's creeping down. So it kind of came out from behind another mountain peak, and then so the light mm. it was casting cast more and more light on the opposite mountain. So the line kind of went down. Um, okay. So more and more of this mountain opposite was lit from the top, and that was sort of gotcha, how we gotcha. watched the sunrise. Uh, and then from that, we went on to the top of the mountain, which was probably about two hours later, which is why I'm wondering about time, because I think I would want to include from the point of the sun coming up, up to getting to the top of the mountain and then sitting on it. And we ended up sort of above the cloud line and looking down on 
the Sahara Desert and stuff like that. And it sort of feels, it's a little bit cliche to assume that the bits that you'd want to most revisit are like the kind of like spectacular bits, the bits of like, oh, well, I was on top of a mountain and looking out at the desert and all that kind of thing. And you'd think, does that necessarily mean that they're really meaningful? But actually, there is something about sitting in a spot that you've never been to before and you'll never go to again and that looks unlike anything else you've ever seen in your life. And also the fact that I was there with her and we'd been through this year of not really communicating properly and not listening to one another and not being properly invested in the friendship and then found ways to fix it and then ended up sitting on top of the Atlas Mountains and looking down at everything. That felt like a real sort of, I've managed to heal this friendship and heal the bits of myself that made it go wrong and now we're in this lovely place. So I think, yeah, from the sun rising up till sitting on the peak of it, I would I would relive that. Okay, so a couple questions. Had the relationship been pretty much repaired by the start of the trip? Yeah, it had been. Um, okay. we, we sort of, we patched it up before this, the the holiday we tried to do was to Riga. And we went to Riga and spent a weekend there. And then oh, I, and I had to Latvia? leave earlier. Yeah, yeah. So that was a kind of little, smaller attempt at a holiday. I had to leave early. And then it meant we arranged this one instead. So everything was kind of fixed by this point. But it still felt like, a oh, we managed to end up going away somewhere. And for a while, it looked like maybe we wouldn't ever do that again. So are you on, for some reason in my mind, I'm imagining you on like camels or horses, but it oh, sounds like yeah. you're on foot. No, we're on foot. Yeah, we have, we've got okay. a guide. So there's a guide that sort of shows us the way. So there's three of you. Yeah. Yeah. Was there conversation? He was, he was, he was quite quiet and he didn't have a huge amount of English. Um, and his, his job was he took people up and down the mountain. So I think to a certain extent, he's kind of done it all so many times that he, he wasn't keen on like getting really chatty about everything and telling us everything. He sort of just led the way and occasionally gave us dates. And if we had specific questions, then he would, he would tell us, Oh, that's this frozen waterfall or whatever. But mostly he just oh, wait, gave of... you dates like the food. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He had I'm a bag. imagining he's like pointing out, he's like 1312 and you're like, what happened yeah. in 13? Okay. Okay. He gives you dates. That yeah. He gave us, idyllic. he gave us, um, yeah, it was lovely. It was a lovely guy. Um, his name was Hassan. We really liked him. Uh, but yeah, I think he's done it so many times and didn't have very strong English anyway, that the idea of him trying to maintain a conversation about all these things that he's talked about a million times for three days wasn't really what he wanted. So he just sort of went on ahead, told us little bits that we needed to know. And mostly me and my friend just chatted about whatever we wanted to chat about. Well, what did you guys chat about? What did we chat about? I'll be honest, by that stage, we'd done three days of kind of climbing mountains. And I think our conversation was probably running a bit thin. As much as I kind of paint this as like a, it was the trip where our friendship was fixed. And brought, I, I, I still think after four days of that, you, you struggle to say anything. So I think we were rambling about probably very little. Uh, but sort of doesn't matter when that's what you're doing. You can kind of go, well... We're both being quite boring, but we're having a lovely time climbing this thing. Well, because that's the thing about these grand moments, right? Is that, I mean, I kind of, I kind of imagine you might be similar to me in this respect. That, like, I can sense when I'm in them sometimes. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be. Yeah, memory, this will be you know? a flashpoint. I go back to yeah, 
but then there are these mundane things in it yeah that you're like this is this does not fit with the way this becomes a memory this is like i'm too annoyed at this little thing or i'm too yeah have to pee or something well i when i got to the top I and I look at this picture a lot. I took a, I took my camera out and took a picture of the kind of the view of the Atlas Mountains with the clouds and everything. And I was very overwhelmed by just the effort. Like it had been very hard getting up there, and I was exhausted, and I was cold, and I was also very kind of stunned by what I was seeing because it looked incredible. And I thought, I this I'm in a state at the moment. I'm in an emotional state that it will be hard to get into again. It would take a very specific set of scenarios. Uh, so I'm going to take a picture of myself just because I'm curious to know mm. what what this looks like. So I took a picture of the view and then I put the reverse camera on and took a picture of myself. And I look at this picture every now and again because I look awful. I look absolutely appalling and I'm crying and I look fat. Uh, and I've got this sort of hat tied around my head and my face is covered in dirt and gunk because my lips had got very chapped. And I just look like kind of a, a puffy idiot who climbed to the top of a mountain and thought it meant something, but actually just looked disgusting. Uh, and I look at it a lot because I think it's a nice reminder of like, you know, you can be in the most meaningful moment of your life, but you're still basically just kind of a a, a, a moron who doesn't really know what they look like or how they come across. I think that's right. That's like the most clear version of like, you know, that cliche of like, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here, here's everyone's don't outside. Compare your outside to your own inside. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Because <laughs> you just look pathetic. You look and did you say frozen waterfalls? Yeah, there were like, sort of, so it gets very cold up at the top of it and it's kind of snow and ice everywhere. And there was sort of, uh, there was uh, some kind of gully, I think, that was all frozen over. And he said, yeah, that freezes. And sometimes when it gets hotter, it melts and then it runs down that sounds incredible it's beautiful it's a lovely place so i think yeah i'd revisit that a lot because i could never get well i say never presumably i'm in the afterlife so i'm revisiting it for eternity maybe eventually i would get (laughs) bored but i think it would take me a long time to get bored of just the kind of the spectacle of it and the fact that i'd be there with my best friend so we'd hopefully have a lot to talk about oh no because you're not allowed to change what you talk about but still it'd be nice to be there with her and it'd be nice to see those things again So my last big question. Oh, yeah. I have a one question lightning round. But before that is, what's your coma? And I'll explain a little bit. So what I mean is like, what is a moment of transformation that you've had? Obviously doesn't have to be as big as a coma. It can be. It could be very small, though. But what is a moment of transformation that feels like a death in the sense that a part of you or a version of yourself became extinguished. And after that, you grew a new part or un, unsheathed. Why am I unsheathed? <laughs> like, you, you know, like yeah. a, this, this, whatever the exoskeleton is, you like were born anew into some new thing. I actually think it's connected to the last one because I think it is the, the falling out with that friend. Um, because it happened at the end of a year where everything had been terrible. I'd been sad for most of the year. I'd felt like I was sort of not going anywhere or not doing anything interesting or good. And I was bored of everything I was doing. I 
uh, the relationship I was in sort of fell apart. I broke up with my girlfriend and sort of put a lot of pressure on everybody close to me and made them kind of feel like they had to look after me and risked a lot of friendships there, I think. Uh, and the culmination of that was this sort of very big falling out with my best friend who had sort of always been quite a constant presence of like, I can always count on this friendship. That's always there. And then I messed that up as well. And part of the reason I messed it up was about being more fixated on like Edinburgh and uh, work and myself than on just trying to kind of appreciate the people around you. So when this that went like wrong. In the Mr. Fruit Salad show, right? Yes. Yeah. It's the thing I talked about in that. Okay. Um, it okay. was the ending of that show. So I went away. Also, what a happened. wild thing to be able to like, you're talking about this really deeply depressing year. And my question is that's from the Mr. Fruit Salad <laughs> show, right? Yeah. You turned that into that silly show. <laughs> Well, that was the big thing, really. Like, I came through this year and I was like, I want to. I sort of had this knowledge that, like, I can't not do comedy stuff because that is that is just hardwired into like it's how I make sense of the world and it's how I think and it's how I feel. Is I I I turn the stuff I feel into comedy shows, so I can't change that. But what I can do is I can work harder on making sure it never again hurts the people I care about and I don't put so much importance on it that I end up neglecting people I ought to be paying more attention to and things like that. So I sort of, I, I went through counseling and uh, did various bits of work on myself to try and work out better ways of balancing the sort of the ego of like needing to make stuff and show it to people and be seen and be validated by audiences and that versus the, the need to just be a balanced person who is there for his friends. And when we eventually did make up, I had this very weird, uh, I, I kind of had a total breakdown and just sobbed for a very long time. And I've never felt anything as intense as it. And I think it was because I'd made that, that breakup or that the breakup of that friendship had sort of become the center of like a year of, of stuff that needed to change. I'd been kind of going down one path and needed to figure out a different way of doing it. And then when I kind of confronted it and resolved that friendship, I really broke down and couldn't really speak for a while. Uh, How long of a while? About 15 minutes, maybe. Oh, okay. okay. Oh yeah. Not, uh, not a kind of an ongoing like right, right. Uh, condition or anything, but, uh, but just a very intense moment where I felt like something had switched in my brain a bit. And then after that, just tried a lot harder. And I'm not saying I'm now a perfect whole version of myself that will never do anything selfish again or never hurt anyone again. You know, you, you're constantly in the process of learning those things. Um, but over the last year or two, I, I managed to get better, I think, at keeping my ego in check and trying to keep my attitude to work healthy and trying to keep my attitude to my friends healthy and to just invest more in people other than myself. I think that that's the big sort of crisis point in my life so far. There'll probably be another one. <laughs> sure. I'm right. sure. We're young yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there specific, it's because the way you're talking about it, it sounds like there are very concrete tools you use to create this balance. Is that, right are like what are those i don't know really i think it was just a case of thinking about it loads and trying to direct my attention towards it a lot because the more you're aware of the the ways you've made things difficult for yourself or the 
mistakes you've made in the past, the more like one of the things that came up in counseling a lot is this image of like your life is an upward spiral. So you're going, you're going upward. So you're getting somewhere, but you're going round and round because you're encountering the same problems over and over again. And every time round, you will make the same sort of mistake that you made last time, because that's the way you deal with life is your, your brain happens to make these sorts of mistakes a lot, but each time you meet them, you have the memory of all the previous times you made this mistake and you go, okay, I can deal with this better this time because I remember what happened last time. So I sort of have that image in my head a lot that whenever I notice myself doing the things that I've done in the past that I, where I feel like I've let myself down or done the wrong thing or whatever, I just try and remember you've been here before, remember what happened last time and build on that. Uh, and I find that's a useful model to have in my head so that I don't beat myself up for getting things wrong again. I go, You've done it again. Now try and respond better. Yeah, that's that's great. Sort of works for me. So this one question, lightning round. Oh yeah, is what's a lightning round? It's just it's very fast. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I guess do they is that's not a term that you've I think we do have it I think I just haven't heard it in a while and okay. forgotten yeah, yeah. I had to just lightning check. round is the por- part of the game where you're getting like a bunch of rapid fire questions right. all at once usually happens at the end cool so um it's it's quite a groundbreaking use of the form to right to do one question <laughs> um okay so the the question is just this kill one thing Kill one thing. Uh, you don't have to just anything in culture or everyday life. It doesn't have to be huge, but just one thing. It doesn't have to be violent. I haven't thought of a less violent metaphor than kill, but like one thing you would be very happy if it just stopped existing. Can I say ego? Can I say the concept of ego? You can. It's pretty, it's pretty it's vague. vague. <laughs> it's a bit vague. I, I mean, I'd love to hear you elaborate and also if there's a specific manifestation of this concept. I think um I think I feel most disappointed in myself when I can tell that I'm pursuing things for the sake of my ego rather than for the sake of what is the most useful or helpful or or wholesome or fulfilling thing that I can do. Um so like pursuing things for like for validation rather than because it's something you really care about. Uh, and I are think, there things that you that is there like one example of a thing that you always pursue for ego? It's like if I weren't if I weren't operating by ego, turns out I actually would never audition for commercials or something. You yeah, know what I mean? It doesn't yeah, have to you're be right. That, this is the but, tricky thing is that's, it's why it's not really it doesn't really make sense as an answer because you do need to have one a in order to like make creative work you have to like navigate your relationship with it and that's what making creative work is in a way but also just like to survive and live obviously you need to have um have an awareness of like yourself and the importance of yourself or whatever but i think it's like excessive pursuit of it or whatever i'd probably get off social media if it weren't for my ego but there's a part of you that thinks well i need to let people know about my projects and there are people who like my shows and will want to know what I'm working on next. And I kind of think it's all just a trap. All those websites are a trap to trick you into thinking that the contents of your head is interesting for everyone else on the planet. And that going, here's my thought about such and such is going to make people go, Oh, great. I'm glad he shared that with me, but I find it hard to get off. I, um, 
I still end up crawling back to it and going, oh, I'll just, I'll just look at what's going on there. Um, so yeah, maybe I'd, maybe I'd get rid of the, the excessive like pursuit of needing to be seen or whatever. If I go with something simpler, it would be courgette. Whoa, wait. <laughs> it's either ego or courgette. <laughs> courgette is our eggplant cucumber. Uh, aubergine. Aubergine is aubergine eggplant. is eggplant. I think courgette is zucchini. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you like them? I actually, I thought I didn't actually do. Uh, I like to like, I like thin slice, put in a pan, a lot of oil, a lot of salt and pepper. No, thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not for me. No way. I'd, um, yeah, I'd get rid of that. Yeah. Great. Or the excessive pursuit of ego and the need, <laughs> the need to be <laughs> Probably courgette. Now I think about it, probably just courgette. <laughs> Thank you for listening to This Is Your Afterlife. You can find my guest Jaws Norris on Instagram at Jaws Norris, J-O-Z-N-O-R-R-I-S. I've also included a link to his film, You Build the Thing You Think You Are. It's great. And that is in the show notes. You can find me everywhere at This Is Dave Marr. If you go to thisisdavemar.com, you can sign up for my newsletter. And stay tuned next week for exciting news about how to access bonus content from the last few episodes of the show. Thank you, and I will talk to you next week. Have faith. You're human. Only human. And human beings, they do.